Okay, so today we're talking about the people of God. The church is the people of God. And um, we're, we're going to cover that subject quite quickly today, looking at quite a few scriptures. So if you've got your Bible, be ready to uh, flick the pages or pages or flick your phone, whatever it is your Bible is on. I like a big Bible, as you can see. Except when you drop it on the floor, which I've done twice this morning. Um, okay, so we're going to look at being the people of God. The people of God. Let's, uh, just another word of prayer. Lord, I ask you, inspire us. Amen. Amen. I wonder what you think about being the nationality that you are. I'm English. I have grown up English. I'm an English person. But what does that mean? Why, why, why? Why am I distinguished from other people who aren't English? What is it to be English? <clears throat> Actually, the English are notorious for not knowing <laughs> what it is to be English. Other countries have a much clearer idea of what it is to be English. You know, for many, many years now, nearly 30 years actually, I've had the privilege of ministering in Russia and there's going to be a lot of Russian illustration today. And this is the first one. The Russians look at the English and they look at English men in particular and they say, that is a gentleman. Now, you may be surprised at that. I must admit, first time I heard it, I was uh, a little surprised. English, gentlemen, and I started thinking of it. Uh, of Ibiza and places like that where English gentlemen go on holiday and thoroughly disgrace themselves. So, uh, yeah, I, I really did not get uh, terribly thrilled with that, but it's their perspective of us. It's what they think we are and who we are. What is it to be English? You see, what happens is that when you grow up in a country, you absorb... That culture, don't you? You don't have a choice, really, because, you know, from birth, you absorb the culture. You learn a lot straight away, don't you? Uh, as you grow in those early years, you're absorbing facts and information all the time at a rapid rate, very rapid rate, and language, and you learn to speak English, and you learn to think like an English person. You learn to understand jokes like an English person. You learn to understand how things work in England. This is how we do things. Yeah? We wash up by filling a bowl with water. And we put our crockery in it and we use squeezy and we wash. And then we put it on a draining board on the right-hand side if you're right-handed and on the left-hand side if you're left-handed. This is to be English. Other people don't wash their stuff like that. Did you know that? There are, there are people in the world who wash their stuff under running water. They don't fill a bowl. We had a young lady stay with us 
an Iranian. And she couldn't believe it that we had baths. Why do you lie in dirty water? <laughs> what is this thing? Yeah, people are different, aren't they? I'm not French. I know this because in French classes at school, I went to sleep. Our French teacher was an appalling teacher. With hindsight, I can see that he was utterly appalling at teaching French. We had this French book, grammar book thingy, and he'd walk into the classroom and he'd sit down at his desk and he'd say, the only thing he'd say in English for 45 minutes was, turn to page 25, or something like that. And from then on, he'd talk in French. It was a complete mystery to me. I was English. And I, I therefore always struggled with French thereafter. Later on, you'll be interested to know that another teacher came to sort us out. I think he got the sack, probably. But anyway, another teacher came to sort us out in French, whose claim to fame was that he taught me Chaka. So, what about how we're seen? and how other people see us. You know, somehow we know who we are because of the environment, the culture that we've grown up in. When I first went to Russia, things were very, very tough in Russia. It was a very tough time for them. Food was scarce in Moscow. It was long queues for bread, and everything was very difficult. And uh, all sorts of problems uh, were apparent, very much on the surface in the Russian economy and, you know, when you flew BA to Moscow, you know, if there was 10 people on the plane, it was quite busy. And I can remember in those early days when people got back to the airport and got on this plane to go home, the atmosphere on the plane was like a party. It was just like a party. And I felt it too. You, you know, I'd felt the oppression and the pressure and the, the, the oppression of this society. And the difficulties of the society that you're circulating in. And then you get back to the airport and it's still difficult. You've got to go through customs and, you know, there's passport control and everything. And they're all frowning at you. Making you feel really uncomfortable. And then you walk up the steps... And you walk over the bridge, air bridge, to the door of the plane. You arrive there. Good evening, sir. Oh, we're back in England. We haven't left Moscow yet, but we're back in England. Good evening, sir. It was just amazing. And people would come in and say things like, Oh, take me home. Please take me home. I mean, literally, they would say things like that. Because they'd been in this foreign culture. They'd been in a different culture. And now they were getting into their own culture. It's back in their own culture. I do want to emphasise at this point that Russian Christians are lovely. And a lot of Russians are lovely. But it was a mess in those days. And the sense, the sense of release. I'm back in my culture was amazing. I, 
I remember the first time I went to Los Angeles, and um, well, it's the first time I went to the States was Los Angeles. And going out of the airport, there are these guys, these policemen everywhere with guns. I mean, I just, it was a long time ago. I mean, gun, policemen and guns are more apparent in Britain now than they were then. So it was a culture shock to me. Policemen with guns, you know, and they look quite friendly. But they've got guns. It's a different culture. You can get my point, can't you? The people of God, we're a different culture. When you walk into a church, it should be like getting on that BO plane in Moscow. When you walk into a church, you should have the same feeling. Oh, great. Here I am with the people of God. It should be like that. You're all looking very, very serious. Is it the masks? Somebody smile at me. You ask me. <laughs> the people of God are different. We are different. I suppose in our society now, we, we feel more different than we did 50 years ago. Or in my case, 51 years ago when I got married. This time, 51 years ago, I was still rehearsing my speech for the reception. <laughs> Gosh, 51 years, long time, eh? So, yes, you say. Yes, David, long time. Okay, so I've got three points, but we'd better read the scripture first. So 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just two verses, but you can sense, can't you, the explosion of joy. He's been talking earlier on about Jesus and what he's done and what God says about him. Laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. He's getting excited about what Jesus has done. And then there's this explosion of joy and praise. You know, as he, as he looks at the contrast. The, they stumble because they disobey the word. But you, he looks at the contrast between unsaved people and saved people. But you, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are, we are in the church amazing people. Did you know that? You are amazing. Tell yourself now, you are amazing. 
Because God chose you to be added to his people. There is this combination of the individual and the corporate in in what Peter is saying here. He's looking at, yeah, you received mercy. You didn't deserve mercy. You didn't, maybe some of you didn't even ask for mercy until God showed you how much you needed mercy. But he chose you. He drew you to himself. He he treated you with mercy. He gave you the grace of God. He is wonderful. And you are amazing. He was on a cross taking your penalty, taking your penalty so that you might receive mercy. And he chose you to receive mercy. And he chose you. So there's a very individualistic thing here. As I was growing up, uh, when I was much younger, I, um, I went to Billy Graham Crusades. You know, and one of my earliest memories, actually, is sitting on the steps of Billy Graham Crusade. And I was just sitting on the steps. I, I can remember the benches around me, and people were sitting there. And people were streaming down these steps past me to go forward to make Jesus their personal saviour. It was extraordinary time. It was people poured past you. Billy Graham had just preached this actually really, really very simple gospel message. He was a very good communicator of the very simple gospel messages. And people responded. Because the Holy Spirit was touching them. The Holy Spirit was revealing the truth of what Billy was saying to them. They were receiving it personally and responding personally. There is this personal thing in each of us, individually. But what Peter wants to say here is, yeah, you receive mercy. You receive mercy, but now you're a people. Once you weren't a people, now you're a people. Once you didn't receive mercy, now you receive mercy. You receive mercy, but you're part of a people. This is the point. The individual is added to the corporate. The individual is made part of the people. We are a people. We are God's people. We are God's family. We're chosen. We're added. There is no individualism in Christianity. Individual Christianity does not exist in the Bible. You are saved and added to the church. You know the great, the great Pentecostal day <laughs> when the Spirit came. People were added to the church, it says. Yes, they received salvation. Yes, they, they received mercy. Yes, it was the grace of God to them as an individual. And individually, they were grateful. Individually, they were baptised. Individually, yes, but into something enormous and wonderful, the church. There isn't 
individual Christianity. By grace, you've been drawn in. And it's a priesthood. And again, there is this individual and corporate. You know, the Bible, Christianity is full of balances. And we've just seen one. Individual and corporate. And here it comes again, priesthood. We're, we're a, once it's a chosen nation of royal priesthood, we could go into, this takes a sermon, a royal priesthood, I tell you. you, can, you in fact, you can lecture on this for a couple of hours. A royal priesthood. What does that mean? Well, it, it means that suddenly, from having no relationship with God whatsoever, you don't even have to have an intermediary. You are immediately put into a total relationship yourself with God. If you like, there is this sudden vertical communication. If you wanted to look at it that way, God in heaven, you on earth. Suddenly, from nothing, really, by the grace of God and the mercy of God, he brings you into a place that the priest used to hold. You know, the priest was the, in, the individual who stood between you and God and interceded on your behalf and told you what God said. And in, in, uh, in some aspects of religion in the world today, in some aspects of particular Christian religion today, that still holds, doesn't it? People still look at it like that. But it's not biblical. The Bible says we are priests. Every individual in this church is a priest which means every individual in this church has direct access to God and can hear him speak to them. Wow, isn't that fantastic? Isn't it a fantastic thing to be in direct contact with God so that you pr when you pray, God hears you. So in this church are people who when they pray, God hears them. This church is full of people who God listens to. Did you know that? Did you think of it like that? This is a group of people God listens to. How can this be true? Well, through Jesus Christ and his mercy to each individual so that we're all priests. Wow, isn't that fantastic? We're all priests. Yes, but why? I'll tell you why. So that each of us can benefit from each other. That's why. Why can you hear from God for yourself? Well, that's good. That's good in itself, isn't it? But also, you can hear from God so that you can encourage others, so that you can take your place in the, in, in the people of God, so the people of God is who it's called to be. It's called to be a royal nation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. A holy nation. So we've seen that each of us is in direct contact with God. But that is what the church is about. The church is about a people who hear from God and can express what God is saying to them individually to help other people. 
to help other people in the family of God. But also to help people who don't know God, who don't have this direct connection. You know, as, as, I, um, as I was at university, one of the great things aimed at me was this view that Christians were arrogant and that we think we know everything. You know, and, and I don't know if that's a sort of issue in universities anymore. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, hey, in some sense, you could say, yeah. Ooh. Are we being arrogant? Well, no, of course, we must not be arrogant. We must be humble at all times. But this is the truth. God speaks to the church. It's his people. He talks to his people. He said to the disciples, you're mine now. I no longer treat you in that way. I treat you in this way. You're mine. We're in relationship. And that relationship produces a holy nation. What does holy mean? Holy means separate, set apart, doesn't it? Holy, holy means separated out. We are separated out to be the nation of God in the nations of the world. That's what the church is. It's the people of God, the people of God in the world. We're representatives, we're representatives of God in the world. Isn't that exciting? People should look at the church and be able to see something of God in the church. Now, of course, through history and even nowadays, uh, you, can, you can point to all sorts of things that are disgrace to the church. You can point to all sorts of things that people in the church have done or said or whatever. Of course you can. It's history and I can't change it. But I can tell you this, it does not negate this fact that the church is God's people amongst the nations. And we should be striving to be all that God wants us to be amongst the nations, amongst the people. You know, it's a nation demonstrating godly living to a dying world. You know, I'm a subscriber to the Times, so I get the Times half price. Isn't that exciting? And um, I get the Times half price, and the, the problem with the Times has been that through the times that I've been having the times, the times have changed. And the times have changed in this regard, you know, there's an obsession with sex. There is an obsession with sex. The Times magazine section is absolutely devoted to various aspects of your sexual life. That's what it feels like week after week after week. Every Saturday all this sex stuff. And then, you know, how to, how to have an open marriage, how to do this and that and the other. How to get back into dating when you're a middle-aged person who's single. All sorts of things like that. And you just think, oh, please. Is there nothing else to think about? Well, apparently not. 
Anyway, the church is called to a place of demonstration how God wants us to live. Okay. I'm not sure. Oh, crumbs of time. So, second point is this. Um, if you turn to Ephesians 2, uh, if you've got your Bible, we're just going to look at a couple of verses in Ephesians 2. And it says this Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about Jew and Gentile here. His argument is that the church unites Jew and Gentile by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. What Paul is saying here is that the church of Jesus Christ is a place where everyone comes into membership on the same basis. That's what he's saying. doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And for, for Paul writing in those days, because this is the big division in the world, the division between the Jews and the rest. And the Jews had attitudes towards the rest that were not pleasant. And they put them down and they, they despised them because they were not the chosen people. And so Paul is saying here, hey, everybody's been chosen by God. Jesus has come now. Jesus has changed it. Jesus has abolish the hostility between because you both come into the church on the same basis. Doesn't matter which nation you're from. Doesn't matter what culture you have grown up in. Doesn't matter where you learnt your language. You come on the same basis to the same God to be filled by the same Spirit. And it's like God has taken hold of Gentile culture, boom. Jewish culture, boom. And he's put in its place a new man. The Church of Jesus Christ. Well, it's a powerful statement, isn't it? A powerful statement. Galatians, as we've said, is, is a book that is all about this because of Paul's experience uh, when Peter slipped back from his vision. Peter had this tremendous vision, fantastic impact of God, and then he slips back. And Galatians is Paul's challenge uh, and the letter that flows out from that challenge to Peter. And I just want to read a few verses at the end of chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew 
nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now here, Paul is saying something a bit different, isn't he? And here again, we have to hold these things in balance. Here he's saying, hey, look, now that Jesus has come, we're all united. We're all, the, we're all similarly valued. There is no difference in value. Jews do not have a higher value than Italians. Jews do not have a higher value than the French. We're all of equal value. That's what he's saying in those verses. And if he knew an Englishman, he'd say the same about the English. But, but, see, he says, yes, we're all in this one new man, but the roots of this new man go back to Abraham. The roots are in the Jewish nation. The roots are there in the Jewish nation and their history in the Old Testament. You can read all about it. Yes, God has thrown out the Mosaic law, but he's created a people who look back to Abraham, the man of faith, who believed God and it was granted as righteousness to him. And so we've got to hold these two in balance. Yes, there's a, there's a new man. Entirely new, entirely fresh. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ and it started at Pentecost. And it's gone on ever since then. But its roots and its history are now the Old Testament. You've joined a people whose, if you like, family tree goes back to Abraham. You've joined a people whose history lessons come from the Old Testament. You've joined a people who've understood God speaking to the Jewish nation throughout the Old Testament until Jesus comes. And when Jesus came, everything changed. So much so that it was as if it was a new man. God's got rid of the old and brought something new into being. But that new has its roots in Abraham. It's a balance. And so what I want to encourage you today is something that maybe I've said in private to many of you over the years, but I want to encourage you today to be careful. Be very careful. Because there are many Christians today who would prioritise Israel and the nation of Israel above the church. And who will prioritise a theology that gives Israel and the Jews preeminence. And I want you to hear me on this. That is not what the Bible teaches. Yes, the Bible may well teach that there is a revival to come amongst Jews. But what the Bible teaches is that the church is God's people. The bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ, as we see as we go through this series, it's the bride of Christ who will be presented to him. God will receive the bride of Christ, the church, presented to him by Jesus, its saviour and grower, <laughs> developer. And we're all part of that. Whatever nation, tribe or tongue, that's the whole point. 
so that the gospel could go to the world. And thirdly, I must rush on, mustn't I? So watch out, be careful, hold it in balance. Yes, we have a history that goes back to Abraham. We learn lessons from the Old Testament, of course we do. But God has created one new man from the two. I think that's the primary thing to hold. The mark of the people of God then, thirdly, the mark, what marks us out? What marks you as English? Well, yeah, I'm an English gentleman to Russians. He's so polite, they say. He opens the door for people. He stands back to let others through. He's so polite. Russian men don't do that. Russian men just barge through. Russian men just march on. Russian men are not like that. He's so polite. So what marks me out as a Christian? That might mark me out as English. What marks me out as a Christian? Ephesians again, Ephesians chapter 1 says this. Verse 13, in whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you heard the word, when you received Jesus as your saviour, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, you were marked by the Holy Spirit. You were given God's imprint by the Holy Spirit. You were rebirthed by the Holy Spirit. You were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You were given a new motivation and a clean heart by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit has done it has implemented what Christ achieved on the cross. The ascended Lord is now implemented in your life by the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit is absolutely central, first place right there in the middle of the church. Because all of us have the Holy Spirit. All of us. All those who are drawn in given grace, received grace, have been chosen, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're marked with this shape of God. It's impressed in us. And as we live our lives, that impression, that mark inside us should, through the years, grow us as Christians, and as the Church of Jesus Christ. Through the years as I grew up, I learned English, not French. What a relief. Through the years as you grow up as a Christian, you'll learn God's language, you'll learn who he is and what he says. 51 years ago, I married Jackie. I thought I was in love. Huh. Now, I'm, now I know I'm in love. It grows. It grows. Don't expect it all at once. But do watch it grow. Your 
life in Christ and how it feeds into the church of Jesus Christ because we're all members one of another, which is another week we'll have to get on to. We're sealed as his. Galatians 3, 14 says this, Christ, in that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Galatians 14, verse six, 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so the church is a chosen people. It's a royal priesthood. It's a holy nation. It's the people of God marked out by the Holy Spirit. When you go to Russia and you meet Russian Christians, what you notice is that they are like you. They've got a different language and a different culture. But they're like you and me. They have the Spirit of God. The churches I visit in Russia, you'd feel at home in. Because of that Spirit of the living God. This is who we are. This is who we'll always be. I'll always be English. Can't change that. Even if I learnt French, I couldn't be French. I'm English. You, born of God, you Christian, you're a member of the church, God's household. Always. You can't change it. It's done. So let's be good at it. In Jesus' name. Amen.